This is a podcast from Rover. All right, but first up on the program today, internationally renowned greenhouse gas science communicator Dr. Frank Mitlerner is in New Zealand uh, for a trip funded by Beef and Lamb New Zealand. He's an air quality specialist at UC Davis in California. He's even known in some quarters as the greenhouse gas guru, and he joins us now. Uh, Dr. Frank, great to have you on the program. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. So what brings you to New Zealand? Obviously, Beef and Lamb have got you over here. You're giving a, a series of talks. Um, exactly what will you be discussing with the various audiences? Yeah, so I first went to uh, Australia, actually, uh, to Western Australia, met with several universities there, then to Southern Victoria, then to Tasmania, and, uh, and now here in New Zealand. And um, I'm meeting with uh, colleagues at various universities about methane, particularly the greenhouse gas that's uh, most important for animal agriculture and, and ways to mitigate it, to reduce it. And in California, we have quite some experience with that because we have a very strong agricultural sector and uh, we have very strict environmental laws. And so uh, people have invited me to share experiences from Australia and, uh, yeah, compare notes. Interesting. Yeah, the Californian example, I do want to talk to you about that. So uh, outline that for us and how it could potentially be applicable to farming operations, particularly here in New Zealand. Yes, so California is a a leading agricultural state in the United States, uh, twice as powerful agriculturally as the number two, which is Iowa. Uh, But it's very different from, from New Zealand. So it's not that there are... Uh, immediate uh, techniques, technologies that can be used uh, here in New Zealand uh, the way they have been in California. But what's really unique in California is this. We have a law that mandates a 40%, that's 40 percent reduction of methane to be achieved by the year 2030. So very aggressive. Um, but it seems like we will achieve this uh, goal and the reason why we achieve it is because the legislature has decided to use an approach that's different from what other people, what other regions uh, use. Namely, we are using a voluntary approach that's incentive-based, and that means that if you reduce methane emissions, then you will financially benefit from it. This is not a subsidy, but it is a conversion of the gases that you produce with a mineral, for example into fuel or power and therefore you're basically selling a new commodity one that you previously didn't so in the past let's say your main uh, product was milk and it continues to be milk if you're a dairyman but in addition to the milk you sell you now sell credits carbon credits and that's not a subsidy but it's an additional product and uh, it pretty much pays for um, any of the mitigation costs yeah, that's interesting. I'm not sure how much you uh, know or understand, probably a little, of the situation we've got here in New Zealand. But when it comes to, I guess, regulation and law versus incentives, uh, it seems like we're going uh, over in this part of the world, going down a more regulatory framework rather than an incentive-based framework, which I'm sure you've been uh, you've been told about by some of your New Zealand colleagues. Yeah, that's, this is the reason why I'm here. Uh, worldwide, there are two different directions uh, that public policies take. The one is what I call the cane approach of rules, regulations, fines, maybe taxes. And the other one is the carrot approach, and that's the direction California has been going. Um, I have not seen in those countries or regions where the cane approach was used 
that large reductions were achieved, emissions reductions. But I have seen that the cane approach did yield real results. For example, our dairy sector has um, covered lagoons where the manure is stored. They have reduced emissions and they have converted the methane that comes from those lagoons into transportation fuels. And they have received large payments uh, as a result. And that's the, ca- that's the carrot approach that has led our dairy sector to reduce 30%, or I should say, it has helped our dairy sector to achieve 30% of its reduction goal already. Wow. So okay. um, everybody is kind of rubbing their eyes, wondering, well, that this is a significant reduction achieved in a short amount of time. One of the other aspects is the uh, reduction of livestock, which seems to be a default setting from a number of people who are concerned with agricultural emissions, in particular greenhouse gases. What are your thoughts on the reduction of livestock as a mechanism to achieving that goal? Um, I'm very sceptical about it, and the reason is this. Um, and about 97%, 97% of U.S. refrigerators you find animal source foods. So the vast majority of people consumes animal source foods. And if you now in a certain region, let's say Ireland or New Zealand or so, say I get rid of a third of all livestock, then the reduction of the livestock will not mean that these products that this livestock used to produce is now no longer in demand. It will, it will be produced, but with somebody else. So instead of reducing emissions, you're simply moving emissions from one country to another. And that is a process called leakage. And leakage does not lead to less emissions and less warming. It just is a shell game of moving animals and therefore emissions from one place of the world to another place of the world. And so that's why I don't think it's a... It's a uh, it's a good way of reducing emissions. Mm. I guess the counter-argument to that, would some people would say, uh, Frank, that, uh, well, we'll just have more plant-based uh, sort of pseudo-meats, if you like, as an example, and milk made from, um, I guess, sources, uh, and some will say this shouldn't be called milk at all, but, uh, you know, sort of, again, plant-based or alternative uh, protein sources. Yeah, I have heard these arguments, and I've followed the, the market very carefully. And uh, after years of these things being promoted uh, throughout all channels, um, in the United States, they have now achieved 0.3% of the total protein sales. So um, certainly uh, it is a solution for a few, but it is not a solution for the masses. And so to me, uh, I'm dealing more with the 99% of people who do consume uh, the real real animal source foods, uh, protein, and, uh, and I'm happy that those who favor plant-based alternatives can do so. But it's, they're not taking over the market. That's not going to happen. The market uh, shows very different trends. Yes, exactly. That's uh, my reading of the situation as well. Is carbon neutral a feasible idea at all, in your opinion? Carbon neutral is um, needed and feasible, feasible and needed for the fossil fuel sector because their main emissions is CO2. And CO2 carbon dioxide has a lifespan of a thousand years. The only way we do not cause additional warming from CO2 is to stop burning oil, coal, and gas. For livestock, it's different because here our main greenhouse gas is methane. And for methane, you don't need to go down to zero. For methane, you need to reduce substantively, let's say by 30%, 20 or 30%. 
And if you do so, then the reduction of that methane leads to a reduction of warming. And so we can achieve our climate goal of no additional warming by reducing methane. And that takes on average 20 to 30 percent. And, um, and then you will reach to the point of climate neutrality, which is a point by which you no longer add additional warming to the planet. And that's what, what our goal should be. So you're saying that, uh, in effect, managing methane from livestock could be, a, uh, I guess, a climate solution uh, in, a, in a sense. Yeah, there's no, no doubt about that. To me, the key for animal agriculture uh, to become climate neutral is methane. And uh, the way to get there is through methane reductions. And uh, we know that there are means as to how we get there. Uh, there are means for intensive farms, but also for extensive farms. More work is needed as to uh, making sure that the solutions will not have unintended consequences. But I'm seeing a lot of, uh, of really uh, good approaches being tried and used in the real world. And so I'm very bullish that we will have a sizable reduction of the warming caused by animal agriculture in the next few years. Dr. Frank uh, Mitlern is with us uh, from UC Davis. He's in New Zealand at the moment. Do you think, um, Frank, that farming's a bit of a convenient scapegoat re-climate change? Is that something that you would uh, would agree with? You know, I don't know. I mean, certainly there are, um, there are people who make it sound uh, that way. Uh, I'm staying away from activists and so on who are not really interested in reducing emissions but replacing the sector uh, getting rid of animal agriculture, I don't think that we should have that discussion because it's not realistic. Mm. Um, I think I'd rather work with farmers. I'd rather work with farmers and make sure that they can achieve their their production goals on the one side, but also their environmental goals on the other side. And, uh, and I appreciate what farmers do. I appreciate um, the fact that they are feeding all of us. And I think it's a societal responsibility to make sure that they can continue to do that. You'll be in a good position to talk about the uh, one of the big debates going on over here at the moment is the measuring of uh, emissions. And, of course, is the GWP100 versus the GWP with a sort of a star or an asterisk at the, at the end of it. I'm not sure of the technical term yeah. for it, but I'm sure that you've got a, a reasonable uh, handle and understanding on uh, these two measurements, uh, Dr. Frank. Yeah, I do. The GWP-100 is a so-called matrix that was developed 30 years ago, and it just simply converts methane and nitrous oxide, another greenhouse gas, into what's called CO2-equivalent emissions. And so it just says one molecule of methane is 28 times more powerful than a molecule of CO2. And I agree, it is a more powerful greenhouse gas for sure. But there is more nuance to it, because methane is not just produced by sources such as cattle, but it's also naturally destroyed, a process called oxidation, hydroxyl oxidation. Mm. And that makes this gas very different. It is, it is pretty much, um, it has a lifespan of a little over a decade, and, um, and that's a very important nuance. Um, and how is it different? It is different because if you reduce, let's say, the burning of fossil fuels, then the warming from the CO2 still goes up. Even if you're reducing the emissions of CO2, you still increase warming. But if you reduce methane, then you pretty much instantaneously reduce warming. And what I'm saying here is that methane is a very important gas for us to control. 
if we find ways to reduce it, then we are reducing warming. And that can make the reduction of methane be part of a climate solution that farmers can contribute to. And if you make this incentive-based and help farmers to uh, reduce emissions just like you uh, help automobile buyers to reduce emissions by incentivizing them to do so, um, then we can we can make a big difference. So I am a friend of GWP Star, but I know GWP 100 will not just go away. So I would recommend using both in tandem and uh, use GWP Star to help us set goals for climate neutrality in the future, find ways of getting us there. And for those people who continue to use the old matrix, um, you know, go ahead and do so. I'm not a fan of it, but um, um, there are now publications that say that if you use this old matrix GWP100 and you use it for a constant source, let's say constant herd size, um, then you are overblowing the impact of that constant source on warming by a factor of three to four. And this statement was made by nobody uh, other than uh, or no one lower than the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, in their last report. So if we know that a matrix is so um, problematic, I will say, uh, to characterize constant or decreasing sources of methane over time, um, then it's time to revisit its usefulness. Well, I'm sure that uh, all this and uh, much more will be discussed when you speak at uh, Lincoln and Victoria Universities in New Zealand in the coming days. Uh, Dr. Frank Mitlerner, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the programme. Really do appreciate your time and your expertise in the subject. Thank you. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me.